0: Hello everybody, my name is Dadge, I'm a druid from Ireland, and I'm very busy with the Safe Tara campaign, we're trying to divert the road that's going to be built, the toll road away from Tara Hill, so if any of you can... Help out with this, please go to our website at www.taraScreen.org and please help us to save the heart of Ireland from having scar star right across it. I believe there are 40 million Americans that claim Irish the same This concerns each and every one of you. Please help to save Tara, and thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to this week's show tonight I have a very special treat for you a while back I orchestrated a very special interview between my friends Ernie Geller and Scott and Doug of Ghostly Talk this was an incredible interview and I know a lot of you did not hear it and so I wanted to share it with you because later this this year probably in the fall I'm going to have Erty Geller on my show as we discuss things about the paranormal and the spirit world that uh, you will have never heard him speak of before. Erty is an incredible person, uh, very gifted and uh, world-renowned for decades now for his abilities to move objects, uh, bend spoons, and other psychic feats that baffle scientists to this day. Uh, He is the real deal. He's been on many talk shows and and, uh, on both television and radio. He was brought over here by the Department of Defense and tested extensively at Stanford University under very strict laboratory conditions which provided some very astonishing experimental results. Before I play this interview for you, I would like to share with you uh, a little story that uh, led up to the orchestration of this interview. Erty Geller lives in England, and with an 8-hour time difference between him and I, we played phone tag. For uh, a few days and and then finally I I called his home in England and was told that uh, he was not there he was out of the country that I should try him on his cell phone well I, I called his cell phone he sounded uh, very happy to hear from me and uh, very sincere and interested in getting things set up he did ask me however if uh, he could call me back later because right at the moment, he was sitting at the table in the middle of the Palestinian peace negotiations. Uh, after my, my jaw hit the, the desk and I, I picked it up, uh, I told him, sure, that wouldn't be any problem. But this goes to show what kind of guy this really is. He took the time to answer my call while negotiating something as incredible and important as peace in the Middle East. And that whole incident gave me the distinction of being one of the few people to ever interrupt the Palestinian peace negotiations. So with that, I now present part one of the interview between Erdie Geller and Ghostly Talk.
1: Who do, you, who do you think we have coming out at seven
2: thirty? I think we have somebody who also helped... For my young mind toward the paranormal, as mine. Um, We're going to be speaking with Yuri Yuri Geller. Yuri Geller, and if you don't know who Yuri Geller is,
1: turn the computer off, (laughs) get back under the rock, and stay there and never come out again. Some
2: people are young. Yuri Geller
1: is going to be out at seven thirty, schooling the heck out of us.
2: Oh yes,
1: we don't know what to expect. We don't know how this is going to go. We have, we actually have some notes. We're going to go. We're going to try to aid ourselves with because we don't know how this is going to happen. I mean, we're just going to go with this. Um, we're pretty much, let's just say, blown away. And I have to note this, like I always do, when guests like this come on the show, we have to thank the people that get them for us because it usually isn't us. Right. We're lucky enough to have friends out there that help this show out now. They do a lot of work for us, and I always like to commend them for their efforts. And that man again is Marcus Leader who hooked this thing up. So we need to thank Marcus again for helping us out so much and getting these people, getting us in touch with these people, it just—it's—it's it's amazing, um, the help we get from some people out there
2: for this thing. Yes, so, Marcus, thank you so so much. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I can't wait to to talk to Yuri and see what he has to say. Happy oh, New God, Year! Are you kidding me? It's going to be amazing. Uh, and uh, and this this coming up guest is, is just absolutely that amazing. And I am just so incredibly honored you to, to the be honor. able to talk you to you. Do do let me read this thing and then we'll bring him out. Yeah, okay? absolutely. That's All great. right, here we go. Yuri Geller. Oh, I let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> Yuri Geller is the world's most <laughs> investigated and celebrated paranormalist. He is famous around the globe for his mind-bending psychic powers, and has led a very unique life, shrouded in debate, controversy, and mystery. Yuri has been studied by scientists who worked with Albert Einstein, worked with the FBI and CIA, has been a pupil of Salvador Dali, and he is also related to Sigmund
3: Freud. That's something I didn't know. I didn't know
2: that either until I read that bio right now. (laughs) Yuri, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, thank you very much, and my gosh, the compliments that you're showering on me—I'm um, flattered to be with you guys. Oh. How's that?
1: You know what? Wow. You just made—you just made my year.
2: Yeah, 2007. <laughs> right. I'm done. I'm done. Right. I don't
1: need. I can just lay in bed the rest of the year and not do anything now by
3: hearing that. Thank you. Uh, thank, you.
1: thank you so much. You
3: know, very very few people uh, know that I am related to Sigmund Freud. Uh, of course, from my mother's side, she um, was born in Berlin, although. But her family come from Vienna in Austria, and um, she's related directly to Sigmund Freud. And I must tell you something. I, I'm going to start off this interview by telling you an amazing story that happened to me just recently. Okay. It, it's a bit. It's a, It's a sad story, but nevertheless, a quite extraordinary. Now, because of the title of your show. Um, I understand that you you know, you know talk about ghosts and spirits and so forth.
2: And almost everything else. Yeah. But yes, it, it, it started with ghosts and spirits. Yes, yeah.
3: sir. Yeah. But then you have to divert to other topics of the paranormal, I'm sure. It's
2: all related.
4: But
3: I'll tell you what happened to me. First of all, throughout all my life, I've never actually seen a ghost. I've heard a ghost. And this was in the early um 70s um when i resigned i finished my army duty i was a paratrooper okay and i threw a grenade into a cemetery it was a stun grenade because it was just i just had it in my kit bag it it wasn't right to do but i did it Uh i was you know in my very early 20s then and i heard a knock on the door and there was no one there and i jumped again i looked out of the window i heard the knock there was no one there And I just simply realized that I must have disturbed someone in the cemetery. But that was my only ghost story. Now, very sadly, my mother passed away a few months ago. Oh, Yuri She was 91. God bless her. Um, I, you know, respected her all my life. I actually promised her when I was a child that I would never let her go. And she lived with us all her life. So she passed away in her sleep. She always told me that she wants to die in her sleep and she did. And I found her early in the morning and you can imagine what that does to to one oh, yes. and to my entire family. But what what occurred next is that I asked the vicar, although we are Jewish, I asked our local vicar to allow us to bury her in the local cemetery i live in a tiny village outside london Mm -hmm. right on the banks of the river thames and my rabbi told me that she can be buried in a non-jewish cemetery Mm
4: -hmm.
3: and we did that and months passed by and i had to order a tombstone my rabbi told me here is a telephone number of a masonry who lives in the next town call him up and he will do everything for you. Mm-hmm. I did that. His name is Nigel. Never heard of him before. And Nigel told me, what type of tombstone do you want for your mum? And I said, well, I'd like something durable like granite. Mm-hmm. So he said to me, there are many different granites. Let me come over on Saturday and show you some samples. I was that week exactly in Jerusalem, in Israel, and I couldn't see him on Saturday. So I told him to leave the granite outside the gate mm-hmm. of my property. And he didn't come for some reason. I came back from Israel, called him up, and he said, Look, I'll come this Saturday. So he comes last Saturday, and he rings the intercom. And I always allow people to drive into our driveway. And this time I said, I don't know what made me say this. I told him, Look, stay outside with the car. I'll come up walking.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. And the gate was shut, and I started walking up the pathway to the big gates of my you know my estate mm-hmm. and through the gates i saw his car i saw him sitting in his car waiting for me and next to him sat a, a, a dog next to the driver's seat and the first um idea that passed my first the first thought in my mind was he must be a really nice person uh, he first First of all, loves dogs and he, he brings his dog along. That's great. Mm-hmm. So I opened the small gate to my property and I walk out and he gets out of his car and he comes to greet me. And I said, Look, let me, let me see your dog because I have three dogs. And I automatically opened the door of the cabin of the car and there's no dog there. And on the seat, there are seven pieces of sample granite to my mother's, you know, tomb. Mm. Uh, for me to choose from and I look at him and I say where is your dog and he says what dog I, 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 there is no dog in the car and I said look I saw a dog next to you uh, are you serious and I sort of try to look in the back of the car and of course there is no dog now the man is mind blown because he tells me look Rory you are not going to believe this I know who you are but you don't know who I am and he says to me that his dog passed away a few months ago and he always carried his dog in his car on that seat i I was just so mind blown that i quickly pressed the intercom and called my wife hannah to come out and my brother-in-law because i've never seen a ghost it was the first time in my life and the bells were tolling from the cemetery it was such a powerful connection there's no doubt in my mind that my mother arranged this, so that's 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 it. A, a, a simple story that I had to tell you because I had no idea that I'll be talking to you, and you've been calling me up, talking to my brother-in-law, and that's that's what happened.
2: Well, I have to say that that's uh, that's got the, the, all the elements of of a great ghost story. Yeah, totally. it's got um, I mean, unfortunately. All, almost all ghost stories have some tragedy arranged in there, too. But, mm-hmm. um, but it's got the the beauty and the romance as well because the fellow who always had taken his dog with him, mm-hmm. yep. I, I'm hoping that that was of some comfort to him as well. Yeah. That, that,
4: that yeah, didn't...
3: he was... Well, he... You know, for him, um, it was like, okay, Uri Geller, you know, he reads minds or he knew it. But to <laughs> me, it was so powerful because of my mother's connection Mm -hmm. you know i have three dogs she had a dog she has a dog called joker i mean she's not with us anymore but joker is Mm. so it was so powerful that you know i I, i've read dozens and dozens of books on uh, spirits and ghosts i'm a huge believer in life after death i mean you know that einstein decades ago um proved that energy cannot be killed off it cannot be destroyed and you will all agree with me scott doug and will that we all have a a, some kind of an energy source within our body you call it the spirit or the soul and that escapes our body when we die and so where does it go it must go to the other side there must be something called heaven or paradise there must be reincarnation um, there must be hauntings, a ghost uh, spirit stays around somewhere. Uh, yeah, life goes on forever, mm-hmm. into infinity. Well, you know, and that's
1: kind of, the more we do this thing, the more we go out there and investigate these things, Yuri, um, the more I'm, you know, I still have my speculations that I have to have as a scientist in doing this thing, but... And it's funny you mentioned this in the very beginning of this talk, Yuri. I, myself, have never seen a ghost either. And I have not seen one yet. Never have seen one. Now, I've heard them like you have, too. We share that.
3: Yeah. Um, but I've never.
1: And you, you're lucky. You've finally seen something. I haven't well, seen it. Well, this is
3: why it was such a shock to me. Because it validated everything that I believe in. And it validated it with that powerful force that my mother is okay, and she sent me a sign. And, um, you know, I'm no fool. I, I mean, when I see something, I know I see it. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just so clear. The dog was so clear um, through the windshield, you know, his his the car's window, that automatically I wanted to touch the dog and pat him, mm-hmm. but it wasn't there. So, yeah, uh, quite, quite amazing. It moved me so much. And now I tell this story to everyone. Yes, you do,
2: and uh, yeah, a lot of people yeah. have heard that now. But yeah, it, similar to the one ghost that I saw, it was yeah, there one minute and then absolutely gone. It was yeah. a fellow.
1: It was just there one standing second. in the
2: cemetery, and he was gone. It, there was no guy there. And
1: we've told that story thousands over of times, and over Yuri. Again.
2: That's one of the big questions.
1: I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times too, Yuri. Is that you know when you when you when you work in the paranormal field, one of the first
3: questions you're going to be asked is, "Well, have you seen a ghost? Have you yeah. seen a ghost?" You okay. know. um what most people think of as a ghost is really called an apparition Mm -hmm. uh, by by those in in the know in the field Mm -hmm. Um, this spirit form can appear physically and it looks more like an image projected on a movie screen than maybe a substantial body but the dog i saw was actually real and we must remember that spirits are a form of energy and in addition to showing itself physically an apparition usually communicates in some way with its observer mm-hmm. and this is why so many people say you know i i heard the ghost say something or it made a, a sound and um this presence may acknowledge your presence by looking at you or even speaking to you mm-hmm. so to to the ordinary folks out there, it could be a scary experience, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if, Especially if you're not involved with the stuff.
4: Well, heck, even, <laughs> you
1: just good. talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I still get the... I, I openly admit that I get scared still. I mean, just because we ghost hunt and all this stuff that people think you're fearless and you have your hat on and, you know, you're, you're you're this adventurer type, but, you know, everybody I think, even people that are in the field for years can still get spooked every once in a while, I believe. And especially... You take that, and then you think about people who don't deal with this at all. They're just, you know, they, they have other hobbies, okay? <laughs> um, and something like this happens, like you said, Yuri. That's a very scary experience. You're completely right on that.
3: It's, yeah. It, you know, apparitions are considered harmless by experts, by people who are ghost hunters and ghostbusters, people who are into the paranormal. Mm-hmm. The, the idea is that an apparition remains attached to the physical realm, Because of the psychological problems, it's human, um, you know, people have to do with it. Mm. So there is a lot to do with your condition, with your mind, what type of a person you are, what kind of a character you are. Mm. And if you're more intuitive, probably you will detect a presence or an apparition faster than someone who is a skeptic or a cynic. Mm-hmm.
2: And I also find, even if you're not more intuitive, if it's going to happen to you, it happens to you when you least expect it. Absolutely. For example, the the ghost that I saw, we were just driving. We weren't ghost hunting at that moment. We were driving in and selecting a parking space. To go ghost hunting. Right, thing. to go ghost hunting. <laughs> and that's when I saw a ghost. And. Uh, of course I wasn't ready for it. I didn't have my camera. Unlike, you know, Terry Gamble and, and his group as we spoke about earlier on yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah. They were ready for it. Oh yeah. Totally. But uh, but I wasn't ready for it. And yep. and I didn't have my camera right, I didn't, you know, and and it startled me. I was startled.
1: Oh yeah, he, Yuri. You, got, you know, we tell the story. We told the story a lot on the show, but we, you know, we're talking to you, Yuri, which is just it blows us away still.
2: We're talking about ghosts with Yuri Geller. This, is, this is, <laughs> wow. the situation
1: was very hilarious because I was in the passenger seat. Just just we were just driving along, and Doug is a very mild person. He don't really, you know, jump very much. Whereas I'm a lot more high strung, and. He, well, let's just keep a story short. He nearly put me through the windshield of a car by locking the brakes up.
2: I slammed on the brakes because I was going to hit this guy. Wow. Who was this guy was standing there, and I was, and, and we, I could have hit him. He could have stepped in front of the car, but, yep. uh, but uh, so I slammed on the brakes. Uh, Scott L was like, what, what, he, what? Yeah. And it, it, there was no. Do you know,
3: there. Th- um, I also think uh, that ghosts or spirits of people who passed away can come. To haunt you in a dream um another uh, actually tragical story um, was when I had to fight in the six-day war and I was fighting in Ramallah Ramallah is in Jordan
1: oh my god fury stop right here I want I, I hate to cut you off but I need I need to say something right now yep I was just listening to a band a little while ago Uh, me and my girlfriend woke up, and we were just goofing around, you know, just hanging around, and I queued up a band that I listened to, and you want to know what the name of the band is?
3: Come on, don't tell me it's Ramallah. It's Ramallah. I can't believe that. I am
1: so serious right now. I am dead serious. Amber, come here for a second.
4: I want her to to verify
1: this. Amber, come here for a second. I want you to hop on the mic. We were just listening to the music earlier. What band were we listening to? Just say it in the mic. (laughs) down here I can't hear you Ramallah yeah Ramallah unbelievable seriously
3: I mean. And I I wasn't really going to tell you this because it's it's quite a um I don't know a very emotional story but at that time in the 67 war Ramallah of course was in Jordan and we were fighting on a French hill Mm -hmm. and we were being you know hit left right and center by Jordanian patent tanks um Actually, that hill was where King Hussein started building his summer villa. And out of nowhere, a Jordanian soldier popped out from behind a rock. And, you know, I just stared at him. I had a a machine gun in my hand, an Uzi, and he had a, a machine gun in his hand. And we both looked at each other for, you know, many seconds. And my whole life flashed in front of my, you know, of my face, my eyes and I knew that whoever presses the trigger first will actually survive. Mm-hmm. And I was faster than him and I shot him. And I actually killed a, a man. It, it, it later it dawned on me what I have, have committed, but my first reaction was really strange. I um, you know, jumped on him and I tore his shirt open, remembering American movies, you know, war movies, looking for the diskette. His identity card yes nevertheless um, then I was wounded myself and I woke up in hospital in Hadassah in Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and that's when it dawned on me what I have done and this young man this soldier although this happened so many decades ago still comes to me in my dream you know he's like my brother now he's a part of me of part of my being And, of course, I have huge guilty feelings about that moment, but I had no choice. Mm -hmm. And he sort of, in the dream, it is almost like a reoccurring nightmare, maybe twice, three times a year.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And he shakes me and he says, why did you do this to me? We're going to meet one day. And I know I'm going to meet him one day on the other side. And um, I think that it's going to be okay. But my, my question is sometimes I ask myself, is it really a ghost? Is it his ghost that comes into my dream, his physical being, or is it just a nightmare because of that mammoth event that changed my life? I don't really know.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's something, obviously, that you think about, it's something, and I, know, I find that there are things in my life that I think about intensely, they will occur in my dreams too. Well, but you can't. I mean, you can, you have to look at both sides of this. But in too. all,
2: and in, in, in all my studies of, of the afterlife, mm-hmm. which of course there's not all that much you can study, but you can study all the theories anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I personally believe that once. I, I, well, I know we're all going to be there eventually uh, because they haven't licked the, you know, living forever thing yet. Yeah. <laughs> so So we're all going to be there eventually. And so what's going to happen is the affairs of man... Right, yeah. the wars and the money and the and and the uh, you know uh, uh, the partying like last <laughs> night, right you know, right, yeah. uh, you know, all that stuff means little to nothing at that point. In the long,
1: in the long run, the extreme long. Run. In
2: yeah, in the extreme long run. So when 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 you're over there, the affairs of man mean a lot less, and um, I'm sure that it'll be worked out in a matter of. Uh, whatever moments but, are over yeah, there yeah. I mean. yeah
3: but you know what um first of all it's uh still um quite amazing and uh astonishing this synchronicity let's call it synchronicity that i brought up ramallah
4: uh-huh. and
3: you just listened to a band called ramallah i mean come on how many bands are called ramallah
4: yeah, well that's the thing uh, you know
1: I've, and don't get me wrong i've been sitting here today, i mean, i I'm mean, sitting here thinking about that obscure. Yeah, yeah, it's obscure. <laughs> an
2: obscure band. Yeah, well, yeah, they're a very yeah.
1: underground band. No, not too many people know yeah. who they are. Um, you know,
3: speaking uh, about bands, mm-hmm. I'm always flattered when a singer mentions me in their song. And there is a small band. Well, I don't know if that's that small called Toad the Wet Pocket. Oh yeah, I love.
4: Oh yeah, yeah.
3: And they actually mention me in one of their songs and. Uh, so, do, so do Incubus, that's a, a bigger band. A incubus, yeah, we, I listen to him. And many of the big stars uh, who are no longer with us, like Johnny Cash, he sang about spoon bending.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm.
4: So
3: yep. does Michael Stipe from R.E.M.
2: As a matter, that's one so, of my favorite songs.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so looking back at my career, it's amazing how, with all the controversy around me, I somehow instilled the... Spoon bending phenomena into American culture, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know the matrix, the first matrix, I was actually asked to design a little part for Keanu Reeves, if you remember the first matrix, Mm -hmm. when he walks into the oracle, there are kids, little children, who teach him how to bend a spoon, Mm -hmm. and then one of them turns to him and he says, there is no spoon, and Keanu Reeves says, there is no spoon, and then he looks at the spoon and the spoon bends. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing how such something so trivial that I discovered when I was just four years old, um, you know, and, and almost looks like a party trick, and it's not, uh, has influenced so many millions of people. Because you you guys sound to me like young people, but if you ask your parents, they probably saw me on Merv Griffin or Mike mm-hmm. Douglas or Johnny Carson or one of those shows and it's amazing how people will never forget the moment when i looked into the camera or on radio shows and i said okay everybody at home go and get a spoon go and get your broken watches Mm -hmm. and i didn't realize that i i was sending like 10 15 million people to the kitchen (laughs) and they all went and got spoons and forks and gathered the broken house appliances and watches and clocks And then the phenomena happened in their own living rooms. Mm -hmm. That's actually what made me sort of famous. Nothing else. It was that first truly and genuinely an authentic interactive television where things, physical things occurred in the houses of people while watching me in a studio. Exactly.
2: Well, and, and that is, by the way, uh, exactly how I first heard of you. I was uh, a, a child at the time, but, you know, I was very much influenced by my parents and around them all the time. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that my mom and her friends would talk about, you know, over coffee at the kitchen table or or, or while outside drinking lemonade on the patio and, and watching us kids and, you know, trying us kids... You know, trying to make us behave or whatever (laughs) Um, One of the things that they would talk about is You know, things in general life And one of the things that happened during that time Was you were on uh, many radio programs and and TV shows And they, of course, would hear not only they talk about not only the show Whether they saw it or they heard someone who saw it Mm -hmm. But also the after effects of the show Because whenever you did a show, it went on and on Because uh, Yuri... The, the people would come up uh, for weeks afterwards mm-hmm. you know with their spoons or bent keys or or mm-hmm. what what have you mm-hmm. and say look this happened while he was on this and that show mm-hmm. look at this it's, it's bent <laughs> you know and yeah. or, or this watch is working or, or you know I mean the the, the the things would happen for weeks afterwards mm-hmm. I
3: know you know some of the more uh incredible things that um the mind can do and i i proved it in laboratories first of all you must understand that i was taken out of israel by the american defense department and uh, you know i can reveal now that they actually made a deal with the israeli mossad the israeli secret service um, whereby they the the government the probably the cia did the deal that they would provide israel with satellite photos of certain sensitive areas in the Middle East because this was in 1969-70 mm-hmm. Israel was in a way preparing for the Yom Kippur war knowing that there will be a war um, and they let me go so I was taken out by a group of scientists the, the leading scientist was Captain Edgar Mitchell who was actually the astronaut who walked on the moon and um, Russell Targon how put off from Stanford Research Institute, but they were contracted by ARPA, Advanced Research Project Agency, which is a very sort of secretive um, defense department agency. And they basically wanted to validate my powers because the CIA at that time was getting information out of Russia that the KGB were dabbling into something called the paranormal. And they had people who could move matches and light matches and influence um, compass needles and so forth and that's when a very unusual life began for me because from one side I was a guinea pig I mean I was tested from Stanford Research Institute they then took me to the Lawrence Livermore Radiation Labs you know that's where they build nuclear weapons Mm -hmm. from there they took me to the American Naval Surface Weapon Center and I can't really elaborate what I, I was asked to do Um, in these tests, but some of them were written up. Some of them were sort of um, um, managed to uh, be leaked out to the press. And then I was even introduced to Werner von Braun, who was, you know, he was a Nazi. He built a V1 and V2 and then came over to America and became a a NASA scientist. So you can imagine me, an Israeli kid whose, uh, you know, family was wiped out in the holocaust here i am standing next to this doctor this scientist who was starting this nasa um you know space program um so i i went through very unusual times and and then the controversy began you know the magicians who attacked me and and i you know again i didn't realize how important it is to be controversial First, because I was young and rather naive and gullible, I thought it would finish me off. But on the contrary, the more controversy, the better I became known, mm-hmm. the more television shows wanted me on and so on. And then I started branching out into dousing, so I found oil fields and gold mines for companies. And then I couldn't handle that. I became obsessed with money. I I was on a massive ego trip. I, all I cared about was fame and fortune, and you know my friends were Elvis Presley and John Lennon. I, I lived next to John Lennon in near the Dakota Building. We were, you know, ten years together in New York. Uh, Andy Warhol and Dali and mm-hmm. Studio 54, and all these celebrities. I wanted to be a celebrity myself at that time, mm-hmm. uh, but I was. I wasn't. I wasn't a singer and I wasn't an actor. I was in a way a freak. And then I became um, bulimic. I had bulimia. I had panic attacks. I had anxiety attacks. So I, I really went through um, hell to to find myself. Yeah. And it was actually John Lennon and Yoko Ono that t- changed my life by telling me, "Look, give everything away that you have." At that time, I had apartments in Manhattan, houses in Connecticut in Greenwich. I mean, I had you know speed boats and, and everything houses in England mm. and I gave all my belongings away I, I practically gave everything away I flew to Japan with my family my kids were small they were toddlers I got my wife my mother my brother-in-law on the plane and we flew to Japan landed in Narita Airport I rented a van drove to Mount Fuji because I always I felt a spirituality there. Because John Lennon told me, do you know what spirituality means? And I said, no, what is it? And he said, well, when you find it, you will stop all this crazy bulimia stuff and panic attacks. And I drove into Mount Fuji, into a forest, and I disappeared for a year with my entire family. We lived in a shack right in the middle of the forest. And I think that was the point that changed my entire life. And then I came back to civilization, simply because my children had to go to school. Mm-hmm. And that's how I really discovered that there is so much more than materialistic stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's not good to have. Mm-hmm. I still live in a nice house, and you know, but I don't have more the desire. I, I'm not in the business of making money anymore. And I think that's when someone can really be motivated and inspired to help others. And that's really what I do today.
1: Well, you know, we—I we, should say—maybe more along the lines. I preach that just about every week here, Yuri. Um, there's, especially nowadays, it seems, and especially in America, as you know, um, we're always being pushed by the media by 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 television shows themselves, by everything. It's all involved. We're pushed, we're prodded, we're kicked into certain directions every day by people that tell us, well, this is the cool thing this week. This is what you have to have this week. You have to have this automobile because it's cool. It'll make you get women. It'll yeah. make you get <laughs> men. That's the motivational thing right there. You see it in the advertising. And most people... And I don't mean this is a bad thing. Most people just don't—they neglect to pay attention to these things. They just go, "Oh yeah, that's a cool car. I'll go buy one." They don't think about what they're doing really. They just say, "Well, they, this is what's in right now. This is what's happening. This new Somerset collection of purses is great. It'll look great on my shoulder, um, and people will think that I'm high. I'm, I'm part of the high society
2: because I have this purse." Until next season. Yeah, until you. When it'll bottom. be another. Exactly. Action
3: yeah, accessory. but you yeah. must you must agree that it is um, a part of being successful. And you know shows like um, with Donald Trump, you know, and you know all these huge celebrity-driven shows, um, you know, they are bombarded day in, day out. So people want to be successful. People want to to be up there. They want to say, look, i got a great car. I've got a big house. I can send my children to great schools. Mm -hmm. It is a part of humanity. It's a part of being a human being. You want to have the best, but there's nothing wrong with that as long as you know your true values, because money can become a positive tool, but it can also become a negative tool. Mm -hmm. If you know where your priorities are, and if you're a good person, a loving individual who also finds time to help others, then you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. So, so it's okay to be successful, to be motivated and inspired to say, hey, I made it. Good for you. As long as you remember where you come from and you, you respect others that are still struggling. Because look, let's face it, Scott, Doug and Will, we are right now, we're speaking you know over the phone you know i'm thousands of miles away from you technology is amazing mm-hmm. um we sent people to the moon and back uh, yet we cannot cure cancer and the most tragical thing is that as we speak right now if you count three seconds like 21 22 23 mm-hmm. a baby just died somewhere around the world from hunger. Mm -hmm. Yet, you know, we're spending thousands of billions of dollars in in the arms race. We're still building nuclear weapons. We still have troops in Iraq. Um, American soldiers are still dying every week, Mm -hmm. sometimes every day. So there is no peace, really. There are still homicide bombers. There are still small... Uh, but very dangerous terrorists loose out there. Mm -hmm. We still have to be alert and awake because some of these terrorists know the know-how how how to assemble and create a a small, dirty nuclear bomb which can be placed in a suitcase and left downtown Philadelphia somewhere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then we've got natural disasters. We are polluting our planet. We are burning the rainforests. The lakes, the rivers, and the oceans are polluted. Um, We still emit poisons and toxins into the atmosphere. And yet we are calling ourselves an intelligent race. Um, So really, if you look at the bigger picture, we're really some kind of a lost, um, intelligent race, uh, you know, spinning in a huge universe. Uh, And we're only a tiny molecular grain of sand in the infinity of no-ending space. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm also a believer in UFOs and extraterrestrials. It is impossible that we are alone.
1: That's completely impossible. And And if we can put this even into more perspective, if you don't mind, Yuri, a couple of years ago we had a man on this show by the name of Stanton Friedman who is an absolute... He, he is a UFO. I mean, as far as the word expert's concerned, I don't think there's any experts in the paranormal.
0: But, mm-hmm. I mean,
1: as far as know-how and just just knowing of the history and the ins and outs of it, this man, Stanton Freeman, he's an absolute genius when it comes to that. It was an honor for us to have him on the show. We'd like to have him on again.
0: He's, um, he's actually known as the, the godfather of ufology. Yeah,
1: he is, Nevertheless, yeah. less, yeah. But he put this into perspective, and you were talking about all these things that's going on on this planet right now, all these terrible things... That don't seem to be getting looked at at all while we do spend all this money on the arms race and things like that. You know, I've heard um, of a man named David Cross, a comedian that I listen to, who actually had some very good insight in this. He's like, well, we put somebody on the moon. That's great. How do we try putting somebody in an apartment now? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, when you think about it, it's yeah. a very good idea. But Stanley Freeman told us something. He's like, if, he's like I'm going to tell you people what what an alien would think if they flew by our plant and just like looked at it, like, you know, just a snapshot of the plant and kind of looked at how we did things. He's like, the report they'd give to their commander or whatever they have in their ship would be, the race on this planet is very, very, they're, they're, they're very aggressive, mean, meat-eating uh, you know individuals that rage war on each other every, you know, it seems to be every couple of years. They're, and it seems that other bigger parts of the planet are trying to take over smaller parts of the planet. And he went on in that manner and kind of told us things in a very broad scale. If you were looking down on this planet with no idea what was going on, which basically just those few things I put out there, really put us kind of back into the dark ages when you think about it. (laughs) We really haven't come that far. I mean, we can have all the modems and Internet and cell phones we
3: want. It means nothing. It means nothing. I agree with you. And, And, you know, sadly it means nothing because there's no end. You know, it's infinity out there. So everything and anything is possible. This is why all my life I've believed in aliens, in extraterrestrials and some experts don't stop with identifying encounters of the third kind. The the experience that most people or or people most commonly hear about are alien abductions, for instance. I mean, you see movies and television shows about it. Uh, And alien abductions are sort of close encounters of the fourth kind. Mm -hmm. Although people and the media, they love to speculate about abductions, actual occurrences are considered very rare but the media blows them out of proportion and believers in the alien phenomenon have different theories on the origins of ufos i mean they seem to focus on four main ideas and i think you'll agree with me first of all ufos reflect some form of advanced technology and it could be perhaps extraterrestrial i as uri geller totally believe that it is extraterrestrial and i think you you'll have to agree with me because there are too many sightings um that that we can just sort of brush off as hoaxes Let, let's say out of 100 sightings 98 of them are just made up stories or people were hallucinating and faking it i mean even if two percent are real then that's it that's enough validation for me <laughs> i'll say <Yeah>. that <laughs> now yeah. ufos may uh, transport time travelers that's an interesting theory mm-hmm. UFOs may be a new form of a natural phenomenon and that I, I think is happening in the Bermuda triangle where there are so many hundreds of books that say that aliens landed under the water and there's a huge UFO that devours all the ships and the planes but it could be a natural phenomenon and UFOs may be a type of a psychic phenomenon. maybe UFOs come from inner space rather than outer space and you know that's the mystery of life i love mystery and this is why when people question my abilities or my powers i tell them look um i I don't care if you don't believe i i would like you to you know see it as a mystery Mm -hmm. the mysterious in um the phenomena that we produce or the earth produces or animals produce it it goes on and on and on and every time as time goes by there will be a new explanation and people will come up with more theories but then new things are going to happen you know humanity is only what a quarter of a million years old Mm -hmm. that's all so going back to say the ancient egyptians um i'm sure that building those pyramids and uh, knowing the knowledge that in order for your spirit to be catapulted out of the tomb that is in the middle of the pyramid we have to dig a channel, a tunnel where we will allow the spirit to sort of shoot out and seed other stars. Now where on earth did that knowledge come from? Maybe we are all star children. Maybe thousands of years ago we did indeed land on this planet with UFOs from other stars. Who knows? I I believe in everything.
1: It's in, in, you know you bring you bring up the Egyptians.
2: Oh, the one, one of has got all yeah, things.
1: You, you, you pushed a big red button there, Yuri. First,
2: I want to <laughs> say something that, that, that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. In, in that the the mystery, just to yeah. appreciate God, man, the right mystery, there. is something that's so important to me, and that's why. I like to. You, you remember when we went to Indiana and, and I, I just absolutely made everybody? I'm like, we have to go to. There's this place called Spook Light Hill. Mm-hmm. And there you're supposed to see a ghost light. And I saw it. And I can't explain it. And it was wonderful because it's a mystery. You can't me.
1: explain it. You can't explain why it's there.
2: Right. I mean, they, they, they talk about swamp gases and and ball lightning and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the thing is, is I saw this, and I saw it with my eyes, mm-hmm. and and it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Only because it was a, a couple of brief flashes of light, ooh big deal. Well, yeah, but still, yeah. I mean... But it shouldn't have been there. It shouldn't have been there. And that's the mystery, and that's why I appreciated it so very much. I mean, mm-hmm. and that, that's when we went to Indiana. It, it, have, you ever, have you ever gone out, Yuri, uh, to look at any of these things that people can't explain, or has it just always been around you?
3: Well, you know, I just uh, completed a documentary for Sky Television, which will be shown on Fox in the United States. Mm-hmm where they asked me to um, somehow investigate the hauntings of Venice in Italy because there are dark stories. The facade of the tourists and the gondolas and all that and the canals is very romantic. But there is also a very dark side to Venice. And when we got there, this was just about nine months ago, I totally shifted away from hauntings and I focused on one building called Palazzo Cadario, yeah. which, by the way, Woody Allen wanted to buy, and his wife talked him out of it, because everyone that owned that palazzo died under horrible, mysterious circumstances. Um, it was just so scary to enter that building, and my conclusions were rather odd. I did not see a ghost, uh, we, we did hear sounds, but um, we believe that this building well, is cursed and everyone owning it dies uh, in brutal ways is because it's so eclectic. Most of the building is made up from a different artifacts and architectural objects that were looted from say cemeteries in the Middle East. Mosques from the Far East, um, and and they were all put together. And you know, this building is about 900 years old, and it was so spooky and so scary. At one point, um, I pulled out a pendulum, and I don't really deal with pendulum. But but um, uh, a a very famous uh, writer called James Herbert, he writes you know horror novels, Mm -hmm. um, gave me this pendulum, and he told me you know use it if you want to. So I started sort of, you know, moving around the room with a pendulum and it, it actually started, you know, um, sort of swaying left and right, left and right and it was pulling me towards a fireplace and this was a, a room, a, a red velvet room on the fifth floor of this building and it took me to this massive stone fireplace and I felt that the whole atmosphere in the room was so condensed it was, uh, I could, I could hardly breathe and I looked very carefully at this fireplace and I saw a tiny little pe- a piece of paper peeping out of one of the slits that was in the, in the stone and I pulled this out and it, it was a picture of a mummified uh, person and that scared me so much I, I just dropped it and I ran out and I started screaming to the crew, <laughs> get out of here, this place is evil. And we, we actually, you know, ran out of the building in a panic. And that's really the end of the documentary, but it was so <laughs> real. So I, I love investigating these kind of dark, the dark side of um, the, the mysterious, the paranormal, the occult. So, I, I guess I will continue doing that.
1: Well, you write a lot of papers on stuff like this, too. If you go to your, if you, if people out there listening to the show right now, if you haven't been to Uri Geller, which is spelled U R I, then hyphen G E L L E R dot com, you're really missing out on one heck of a website. Um, Can
3: I, I just correct you? Oh, let, let allow me to correct you. It's really urigeller.com, it's dot Uri Geller, U R I G E L L E R dot com. Oh, there's you know, no
2: the, dash in it. the there, oh, That's a typo. I'm sorry. Typo. No, no, Say
3: no. <laughs> a, you you'll get to the website also with a dash. But, okay, You know, fine. I write books. I've been writing books for what thirty years. Mm-hmm. I'm just finishing my seventeenth book. I'm I was very pleased that Reader's Digest published my last book, which is quite um a, a, quite extraordinary because you know Reader's Digest are a very conservative. Publishing company. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, the book is called Life Signs, and in America it came out in a very beautiful coffee table form. You know, and when I write a book, it's immediately translated into about 30 languages. Wow. Um, so I make many of my books available to read free of charge on my website. Yes. So you know, there are people who have no money, uh, so there are many books. That you can just download and and you can print them out and you can or just read them on my website. There is so but it is an amazing website. site because yes. it took me about sort of it expanded automatically fifteen years um, in the making and it and it's actually bigger than CNN's website. Oh
4: my god, it's a huge! I
3: get site. about nine hundred hits. Sorry, nine hundred thousand hits a week. Oh my god!
0: This is Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to the Shaman's Brew on the Jackalope Media Network. I would like to uh, close this show out now with a song from uh, Peter Fippen's new release, Summerland, called Understanding. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week.